0: to the panel RNZ National Andrew Clay and Anna Dean with me this afternoon. Lovely to be with you today. The weather's picking up, spring is here great time for a break and refresh the mind but what's the best way to get there? Would you ferry to the Coromandel, or is that just a pain? What about a scenic train ride from Wellington to Auckland it will set you back $219 and take you almost 11 hours? We're not able to take those essential trips away without a carbon footprint yet, but it might surprise you, sometimes flying has less emissions than a diesel car. With us is Emeritus Professor of Energy and Climate Mitigation, uh, Dr. Ralph Sims from Massey University. Dr. Sims, Kia ora. Nice to have you on. Kia ora, Wallace, and Kia ora, Anna and Andrew. Yeah, very good. uh, uh, Interesting, because there was uh, some research come out about this uh, today, wasn't there. But look, you live in Palmerston North, and you actually compared the different modes of transport to get to Wellington. What did you find?
1: Well, I, I left my house and I went in a diesel car, a small one that I owned for um, 10 years, or I went in an electric car that I've got now, or I went on the bus, or I went on the train, or I flew. And so I looked at each of these from a cost, comfort, convenience, and uh, speed and safety point of view. And certainly the uh, train, the capital connection this is, is far lower emissions than, than the car. Um, The plane, it depends on how full it is, but it can be less than a car, assuming the car's only got one driver. But what people don't really remember, you mentioned about the cost of the train to get up to Auckland. Yes. But the cost of driving a car is not much cheaper. And it can be up to a dollar a kilometre if you're buying and driving a fancy new diesel car. And if you add that 300 kilometres together, that's $300 to get to Auckland in, in buy car. That's not just the petrol, or okay. diesel, that's the whole ownership. So therefore, the choice of a journey, if it's an intercity journey, which is what we're talking about now, depends very much if there's one person in the car or four people in the car, and whether you are more comfortable on a train, reading the newspaper, having to sleep, the capital connection huh. has got a little bar on the way home, and, and and so this is where it's, it's looking at trying to reduce the carbon footprint, yeah. but also getting the other benefits.
0: So one thing that, let's just go back to something you said, because it'll uh, be interesting to our listeners, and because a lot of listeners go, oh, planes, 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 why are, you tra- why are you flying, why are you flying? One thing that fascinated me is that a short plane journey, if nearly full, can have lower emissions per passenger than one person going by road, in a diesel car.
1: That's exactly right. This is work I was uh, leading the transport chapter for the IPCC, Intergovernmental Panel Climate Change, uh, in the previous report. And um, we analysed all the different modes of travel in there. And that's uh, based on all the science and all the information. And that's exactly right. But you've got to remember you've also got to get to and from the airport. It's the total journey you've got to consider. Ah. And so if you've then got to get a taxi for 30 kilometres to get to the airport, or it's door-to-door journey to make a true comparison. So the actual plane journey from Wellington to Auckland, for example, could be less emissions than if you're driving your diesel car from Wellington to Auckland with just one person. But you've still got to add on the uh, um, getting to and from the the airport. Anna, you do a
0: heck of a lot of travel. You travel everywhere. Um, Do you consider emissions in your travel...
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and I have a brother who refused to fly for a whole year. So it's um, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he just made that choice to um, for the for the planet and just to cut down on his personal emissions. So it's something I'm very aware of. And I used to fly. A lot to Melbourne and um, feel, feel dreadful about it, to be honest. And I actually got flight shamed by friends in Europe <laughs> the, the last time. That's a thing. Flight shaming. I
3: Th- that's a thing. I, yes. I'm, I've learned yes. already on the show. Yes. Okay. yes Carry I, on.
2: I, I flew to France for a 50th in the south of France for two weeks. And... It was atrocious um, these these German friends you know they, they kind of said, Look, you really shouldn 't be doing this if you 're coming, you need to come for a decent amount of time and So my, when you get shamed by your friends, you really do start to think about what you're, what you're actually doing and how you're doing it. I actually recently took the train from Auckland to Hamilton, and it was fantastic. It was Wi-Fi, it was comfortable. um, Cost me nine dollars or something because they had a, they had a special on. And what I'd love to see is a night train from Auckland to Wellington if, if that Uh existed. Um, it would be uh, a fantastic trip, and I would I would definitely consider that as an alternative to we'll catching it, the plane.
0: We'll get a comment from you soon, Andrew, but I just want to come back to what um, uh, Anna's saying there, Ralph. We're not here to uh, f- flight shame anyone here, quote-unquote, but there is something there that the research does say um, that, uh, look, if you're going to do these short flights, going to Melbourne for shopping and coming back the next day or the day after, it's possibly best to do the long haul flight and stay longer.
1: Well it's, the, it's right, it's what you're going to get from a value of the trip and certainly going five times a year to Melbourne just to go shopping as opposed to going once to Melbourne to go shopping and spend a holiday for a week or two is, is um, obviously an improvement but Anna I, I've certainly I'm uh, sad to hear about your incidents in Nelson with the flooding and this is climate yeah. impact uh, at work so we all need to reduce emissions people say oh I've got out of my diesel car, I've got an electric car but And as soon as they fly to Europe, there's more emissions in that long haul flight than owning a car for a a year in in, uh, driving it around. So there is a question to be asked about, do you need to fly in the future? And all credit to your brother and um, well done him.
3: I think most of us now, with half a conscience, understand and, and, and with access to any kind of news, understand that this is getting real and, and a little bit, you know, scary as well. But people have, worry about the six inches in front of their face, so. Isn't it what we need, to, like, if I'd much rather catch a train to Wellington, like you say, overnight. Does the cost have to come down to us to break mm. that cycle of getting out of our cars? I don't want to spend 11 hours in a train, even if it's a comfortable one. If I can do it in, in seven and a half or eight overnight, I'll be there with bells on. So is the responsibility of, thing, of governments and stuff to ease us in the, that direction? And the reason I say this, right, they made that rule abandoning plastic bags. And everyone went, oh, that's a bit of a pain in the backside. But we all did it. If they hadn't have made that rule, not everyone would have voluntarily done it. So I think it's incumbent on the rule makers to push us in the right direction and do it by, in this case, biting the bullet and reducing the travel time and upping the convenience and lowering the price. Lowering the price, Ralph.
1: Yeah, no, Well, exactly. I mean, that's a deterrent for many people. But like I say, it's equivalent cost to driving a car. So therefore, there is a question on that. There's three different journeys. One is the sort of suburbs commuting type journey and public transports being supported there by regional councils, by government. So that's encouraging. Intercity, buses for intercity, some of them haven't got toilets on. There's that sort of issue as well. and um, And so you're uncomfortable and the yeah. cost... It's still high for buses too. International is mainly flying that we've talked about. But you're right, we need all the incentives we can get to reduce people's dependence on the car. If you're taking a family on holiday, then obviously it's a lot cheaper in a car for four or five people than it is to go on the train. But it's for one person travelling is where we're uh, uh, questioning the need for that travel by car.
0: Who remembers? Vanessa's uh, reminded us the Silver Fern used to run an overnight service from Auckland to Wellington back in the 70s. Is this the case, uh, Ralph, just finally, of going back to the future? And I'd like to ask our listeners this afternoon, um, if an overnight service was available, would you use it, Ralph?
1: Well, I I used to use it. One memorable (laughs) occasion, I was coming back from Auckland and it stopped at Hamilton where there'd been a rugby game on between Wellington and the Waikato and all these rugby supporters got on the train, police got on somewhere further down the track and I got no sleep at all that night. But the concept of it is really good. If you go to Europe, of course, as Anders just said in France, I lived in Paris when I was working over there for a while, I would catch a train and go for five or six hours rather than go by a car or a train because the trains were so efficient, so on time, so regular. We haven't got that in New Zealand yet. We've only got a small small population, so it's hard to to benefit to them um, by in, investing a lot of money right. in trains, but we used to have rail networks all over the New Zealand. If you look at a map of the 1920s or 30s, there were rail networks everywhere, and they've all been closed up, down oh, over, over a period of time. Nightmare. So Good, on you, Dr. Them again.
0: Good on you, Dr. Sim. Kia ora. Thank you again for your time. That's Emeritus Professor of Energy and Climate Mitigation, uh, Ralph Sim's on. Various ways to travel. Gotta say, I love the old uh, the, the rare times I've been on it. The old train ride. It's quite relaxing because you can get your book out. You can one hundred percent. You can look out the window. You've got your Wi Fi. There's there's often a yep. um, little cafe where you can have your a, a gherkin and cheese semi. It's
3: very particular. It's very specific. I could maybe other sandwiches. Maybe other sandwiches we could throw in there. Wallace, cheese and gherkin. That's a bizarre thing to bring up. But no, just give me that encouragement. As a member of the public, I'm a little bit lazy. I want to do the right thing. Make it easy for me. Make the difference in price you know, really clear, and to, to break my habit of the automobile, to make it easier, to make it uh, comfortable, all those things, because I want to do the right thing, but like a lot of people, I'm worried about the six is in front of my face, what's the most convenient, right. all those things. I shouldn't do, but I am.
0: 18 past for the panel, RNZ National, Anna Dean and Andrew Clay. Uh, by the way, um, special text, special text just come through, Anna's dad here, I was... I oh. was... Can- <laughs> <laughs> I was cane frequently at school, and just look at Anna. Um,
3: <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure how those two things link together. No, maybe they he's don't. a good father. They maybe don't. But father.
0: Anna's uh, uh, dad's way of saying um, he turned uh, out okay. And then Dev was a good par- good parent. I don't Anna, believe you. I Anna, don't believe Anna, that James Dean. Yeah, I
2: don't oh, believe that's Well, Dean I've got
0: Dean. the I've got the t- I've got the number here. I can send it to you. Anyway, to
3: this, <laughs> <laughs> good. It's good to know your dad's listening, Anna. Bit of parental support, even in this stage of your life. Fantastic.
0: <laughs> I, I love the overnight train between Wellington, where I was working, and Auckland to visit my family. I always had a sleeper. Anyway, research shows that only 16% of New Zealanders have high literacy levels. So, how on earth is everyone supposed to decipher insurance policies, contracts, or bills before Parliament? The Plain Language <coughs> Bill just passed its second reading, but will plain language officers? Make a difference. With us is Head of Brands and Partnerships at Wright, Penny de Pause. Penny Kia ora. Hello,
4: Wallace. Nice to be here.
0: Good to have you on. Very interesting uh, discussion, and Bill, this is. But um, is it, do you think it's a bit over the top having plain language officers? Can't, as I think Chris Bishop said, just write to the State Services Commissioner reminding the MPs to, hey, just communicate in easy English.
4: Yeah, we're not convinced that's a successful approach, actually. I mean, virtually all role descriptions in the government sector already include a requirement for clear writing. Um, so at Write, we've been around for about 30 years, uh, and our experience of training thousands of people to write for their readers shows that that existing mechanism of just tell people to do it and they'll do it, it's not working. I mean, if you scan through job ads for the public sector, you'll see jargon and unclear writing are pretty endemic. Um and we also were involved with the Plain Language Awards, which were the Plain English Awards. And often the nominations in that brain strain category are public sector documents that have caused people you know, lots of distress or confusion. And they're often documents that have kind of been through many writers in the public oh. sector. So, you know, it's showing that there is a problem.
0: I saw, I, I had a couple of examples here that I uh, looked up. Here's a beforehand. Before, plain English, mitigation is the cornerstone of emergency management. It's the ongoing effect to lessen the impact disasters have on people's lives and property through damage prevention and flood insurance. Then after, protect your community from natural disasters.
3: <laughs> there you go. Is it, is it, I'm not sure that means exactly the same thing, but
4: uh, and I think maybe that's um, that's one of the sort of the myths of plain language. Right? Is that sometimes people automatically make a, a a leap to dumbing down or oversimplifying? All we're talking about with plain language is making sure that what you write is easy for the person who is supposed to read it to be able to read it, understand it. And know what they need to do, um, so that's you know that's
3: what we're aiming for. Okay, Andrew, first. I, I, well, I'll do this job. I'll do this job. I'll, I'll do it because I'm a comedian, and one of the key things is getting your idea across in the fewest amount of words in the most understandable way. So exactly, p- pile it onto me. I'll, I'll clear it up. Get you you an go. email
0: address People, so yeah, you, people my, can email you? New Zealand, you're welcome. Yeah, all right.
4: <laughs> you put me out of
0: business. <laughs> um, what about uh, you, Anna? Do you feel that um, the contracts that you read, be it everything from your um, smartphone contract to your um, uh, internet contract, need simplifying?
2: Well, I, I never read those smartphone contracts.
3: Um, okay. <laughs> who has? Honest, yeah. well, well, honest, well, who honestly, knows? mate. Please. Who's read those?
2: Exactly <laughs> it's not the case, right? There's so many
4: of these things that we don't read until a moment of stress. Or, you know, insurance is a great example. We get the policy. We read the thing. We, put it, we might read the thing. We put it away, and then something happens, and we need to claim. Um And so we're in, we're under stress at that point. We haven't read this thing really probably in a few years, if at all. Um, and that's where plain language really comes into play, that people can actually, in that moment read it, understand it, know what needs to happen.
0: Here's one here for you, Penny. Plain language, and it's just got to be enforced on the real estate and mortgage industry. I'd love to do that. (laughs) Yeah, to purchase on the most basic needs of life is the most complex and jargon-filled hurdle-jumping load of unnecessary middleman rubbish you'd ever see.
3: That in itself no a,
4: from me on
3: that. that in itself is a bit wordy, ironically. <laughs> yeah, I <thought> that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I have to say, I have a conspiracy theory that your lawyer, real say agent types, want to keep things complicated, want, to, want to, the everyman to struggle to read them, because if they don't, they may do themselves out of some work. Right, if legalese, right? Law- lawyers get to read it and, and and decipher it amongst each other and keep us out of the loop. The moment that it becomes decipherable for your for your every everyday person, uh, I think maybe l- or, I don't know. Or Penny, as the famous New
0: Zealander once said, confusion can be a marketing tool.
5: It
4: can, but I think you'll find actually now people are saying simplicity is a marketing tool. Like no. Apple's built up entire business on that, right?
0: <laughs> Well, it's very nice to have you on the program. Thank you very much for that. That is uh, Penny DeBorst, uh, who is uh, the head of brand and partnerships at Wright, company which wants to make.
3: I never use big words. And I'll go, no, right. you don't. No. <laughs> Just one or two syllables. That's all you need. It works for you. Any more than it? that. Cut oh. all my audience out.
0: That includes on stage? <laughs> yeah.
3: Just, you know, grunts often. Just grunts. Hand signals sometimes. Yeah. 24 parts for
0: the panel are NZ National. As I said, Father's Day. I'll be your father figure. Put your tiny hand in mine. <laughs> you I'll be... again. <laughs> You're doing it again. It's a it's great. Be, it is beautiful. No, carry on. Uh, I'll be the one to love you till the end of time. That is the great George Michael there, paying homage to your father this afternoon. And with us on the line is Rohan. Rohan kia ora. welcome. Hi, Wallace. Tell us about your dad.
5: Oh uh, yeah, I mean he's a pretty cool guy. He always supports me with all my sport and all my schoolwork. He's always there for me, and he he always looks after me.
0: Can I ask him? Can I ask you his name?
5: Uh, his name's Tom Thompson.
0: Oh, and it's just, is uh, he is he is he is he a kind dad? Is he a, a gentle dad? Is he a, is he a person that has guided you through life, Rowan?
5: Yeah, yeah, he's very kind, and he's always helped me out with my sports and things. Takes me down to the cricket nets and helps me out there, and and always is willing to to put me first over him.
0: Gorgeous, Anna.
2: Yeah, that's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing.
5: <laughs> no, it's all right. Well, he listens to. We've always got um, RNZ <laughs> on at home. Every time I get home from school, it's always on. So I thought it'd be a perfect way to. to
0: oh,
3: on. you're a good on. lad.
0: So he might even be listening to this right now. Yeah, I, I suspect
5: he will be. Yeah.
0: So what would you like oh. to say? What would you like? What would you like to say to your dad in front of a huge national audience this afternoon?
5: Uh, um, I just say thank you so much for everything you do Um, I wouldn't be the same boy that I am without you Um, and I really appreciate everything you do
3: Rowan good lad good lad thanks for being with us if his pocket money doesn't go up there's something horribly wrong an extra dollar I just took something beautiful and made it cynical an extra dollar dollar a week and
0: with us now we have uh, Maeve Maeve welcome
5: Thank you. Hello, everyone. Hello, yes, mate. mate. Yeah, t- tell us
0: about tell us about um, your Father's Day or Father's Day story.
5: Well, I am the daughter of Pat Higgins and Marion Hughes, and this Father's Day, I think, is going to be a special one. Uh, my dad's from Ireland, and he's kind of like a wild knight, and it's also <laughs> going to be the anniversary of um, my brother's death of 20 years. So I think it's going to be pretty special. And I, I don't know. That's it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, kia ora, Maeve. And to to your dad, um, in front of our wonderful audience, what would you like to say to your father?
5: Well, I guess I'd have to say I'm really glad that your humour continues to update.
3: <laughs> Which is not always the case. It's not always the case with dads. Yeah, or with you. Or clearly. with me. No. Keep going, Mave.
5: He loves to tell me how much I think that he's improved, and I'd love to say what well, you have. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But I want to say that you're very, a wonderful man. You have a very kind heart. You're very funny, and your music is good. So I love you, and thanks for everything.
0: I really and, appreciate you being on the panel, Mave. Kia ora. Thank you so much. Bye. So that's Maeve there uh, and Rowan, and that's really, um, you can't say much more than that, can you, Anna Dean? You know, a a homage to to Dad this Father's Day.
2: Oh, so sweet. So sweet. All my dad got was an op shop mug uh, (laughs) with (laughs) Dad.
3: Lift your game, Anna. Lift it. He's listening. Lift it, okay? Yes. Well, I I was going to, my dad passed away 21 years ago, but my dad's dad, my dad's dad died before he was born. Uh, And uh, so he had no experience uh, raising children. But as as my sister, uh, older sister said, I'm the youngest of five, five kids he raised, along with mum, that uh, every mistake he made was with the best intentions. And uh, he was a great, uh, yeah, great role model for us. And, And not without his flaws, but a great man. And it's been 21 years and I still wish he was here.
0: Oh, and I just want to say, I've never really said this. I haven't talked about my dad much, but my dad, Wallace Clyde Chapman, a minister, he was just the kindest, gentlest father. Loved him to bits. He died um, 30 years ago wow, yesterday. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Major heart attack at the age of 48. There you go. Didn't see it coming. Uh, and, yeah, to this day, I miss him. So, dads. How, much, how much do I dads? You know,
3: they're pretty important, you know. They're pretty important to, in society. I know I've dealt with a lot of young men who don't have dads, and it. Uh, it 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 does leave a hole, the, 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 you know, modelling behaviour and stuff like that. I mean, you don't want a bad one around, but it, but if they're yeah. halfway decent, if they're halfway good. It's uh, it's it's pretty crucial in young men's and women's lives.
0: A couple more here. Uh, I adore my father. He's been a wonderful, kind, and supportive friend and dad, a fierce feminist, and a war to my friends who also love him. I am in luck. My dad, John Parson, uh, when I was young, uh, veggie-gardened the whole backyard. I think I read that, didn't I? Yep. And another one here. Wolf's well, dads can be break, great, no need for any in our LGBT2 mother. Family. There you go. So there you go. Yep. <laughs> Lovely to have your company with us, is Anna Dean and Andrew Clay.